0: Welcome to the next podcast. We are covering muscle mass in relation to the athlete. I got a little one homesick with me here today, and he's quite active when I'm on the phone or anything. So I'll mostly be listening on this, but not to worry. To start things off with Keegan, I highly suggest checking out his Instagram, Keegan Strength. He really lives this subject. He's
1: got a killer physique. Keegan, start us off. Thanks for the kind words, there, Mister Patrick. As always, I'm done. Nice to see our special guests on the podcast as well. Look forward to having back on more regularly. This topic is probably the one that I'm most passionate about. It's probably the one that will impact the most men's lives. Uh, Where you get to in terms of muscle mass is going to have a huge impact on your potential as an athlete. It's also going to have a huge impact on your self-image and your self-esteem. Most of us start strength training because we want to look something like a superhero character. We've been shown these images of men like Arnold Schwarzenegger, And a lot of men have the idea in their mind that they want to look something like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, the fact of the matter is that women are not looking for Arnold Schwarzenegger for the most part. They're looking for someone who can protect and someone who can provide. And this overblown image of a superhero physique actually can't run. And it's very difficult to provide as a bodybuilder. There's much better ways to make money. And it's not a great way to be a protector because you probably can't run. It's not the best you know, solution in terms of being able to provide either. So if men could leave behind the idea of wanting to look like Mr. Olympia in a way that is never going to happen naturally, that would be a very, very healthy thing uh, for a lot of men. As far as athletes go and performance, if you're significantly away from where the best athletes are in terms of the muscle mass for your sport, you will not make it as an athlete. Like it's black and white and people are talking about mechanics and all these things that are like polishing a turd if you don't have something like the ideal body composition for your performance you're not in the game it's like being a three foot tall man and expecting to you know do really well uh, in the dating game it's, it's it's going to be very 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 difficult so you don't want to be an outlier you want to be somewhere onyx, in the plant at one point but otherwise i agree the three foot <laughs> man uh, sorry onyx but your time will come and I'm, I'm sure you know i'm sure he's going to grow up much taller than me but this idea that uh, more muscle mass is, is always better it's, is not true. And you want to decide exactly where the muscle mass is on the body. There's no point reaching your ideal muscle mass but having it all in the upper body. If you're a running athlete, that happens a lot for rugby players and they don't understand why their legs keep breaking. And you look at it, it's massively top heavy. You know, uh, Charlie Francis said, looks right, flies right. I think the, the ground up concept in ATG is revolutionary. It wasn't in my mind that my athletes needed to be bottom heavy to be most resistant uh, to athlete. It's, uh, to it's injuries, you know, as a uh, running, running sport, heavy athletes, it's very important that they're bottom heavy and the ones that were top heavy when looking back, you know, they were the ones who were in and out all the time. Me injuries, it, it, it's problematic. You get injured and then you have to keep your weight up and then you, you keep the weight up by staying heavy up top and it, it causes a lot of athletes a lot of trouble. It's definitely part of uh, Ben Patrick's story. It's part of my story. If we can get this muscle mass thing right in our, in our minds and if you're the, a great coach, or if you're an athlete who has optimized your body composition, you're, that's a big rock. That is a huge piece of the puzzle. And it's one that very few coaches take seriously. We think of bodybuilding as being something separate from athletic development. It's not. Charles Baldwin, I believe, was the best bodybuilding coach ever to work in professional sports. And for that reason, he, he was getting outlier results that others weren't able to get. There are many other reasons as well. But I believe that's probably the number one. It's very close to the primary reason, Charles. Apart from his mental abilities in transforming minds, he was able to transform bodies, decreasing body fat, optimizing the muscle mass required for that sport, especially working with sports where you had to be heavier. And and in doing that, he gave his athletes a massive competitive advantage. I don't see that same competitive advantage being won by foot strength or by some tweak in the mechanics. If you're already an elite athlete, maybe it is. But oftentimes, there's huge improvements to be made in body composition. And that was a primary focus for me, working with rugby players. We were the latest. And I I actually did the numbers on every athlete in the league before I went back into professional rugby league. I ran the numbers on every position, on every team. And the heavier teams were more likely to win. And the heavier athletes were more likely to be representative players in their position. So more likely to be like all-star level and more likely to be getting paid more. The heavier athletes. That was the case for rugby league. It's not the case for all sports. Therefore, in rugby league, players are going to hold a bit more muscle fat. They're going to also, we've got to maximize their muscle mass. But if you're a tennis player, that's not the name of the game. Have a look at what's optimal for your sport and reach that optimal. That is the key message that I have here today. The muscle number is the metric that I developed to be able to quantify this. So every athlete has a number. 100 is basically like the natty number. Um, It's based on the fat-free body mass index I multiplied it by four to make it a bit more sensitive so athletes could feel if they're actually changing if you're at hundred on the muscle number which means you have a fat free mass index height adjusted of 25 then you're kind of at like your your natural bodybuilding potential according to like what's kind of normal I've had athletes that are at like 28 professional bodybuilders are at 35 40 because they're not natural and they're they're breaking you know those nature's rules but some sports you might need to be 80 you might need to be 90 Seven five pure mouthful runner or high jumper. Understanding what's optimal, I think, is the key. Brilliant, brilliant
0: intro. In terms of the muscle number, if someone wanted to explore that more, if they're hearing that right now, like even for me, I've never, I've never done that. How should I do that?
1: Is there a resource to have on that, or it's it's going to be on the app in the next uh, twenty four hours with Anthony? It's a good yeah. tool to make it realistic because a lot of guys are like, I want to put on five kilos of muscle and I want to lose five kilos of fat. I'm like, yeah, cool, but that will put you in like the upper one percent of like elite bodybuilders you know is that is that what you think you're going to do and they're like no i'm actually a basketball player and i'm like well you know maybe we should reset those goals and you just need to be leaner you don't actually need to add five kilos of muscle mass and then that takes some of the stress out of the equation sometimes interesting interesting okay awesome now marcel i remember giving him his first workout
0: back when back when coming to atg meant you had to survive a sled workout with me and if you, if you wanted to come back, I would let someone join the membership. I, I don't know what I was thinking back then, but Marcel was puking his brains out, but he called me later that day. He wanted in. Marcel had a sloppy body. No offense, bro. I mean, like, low muscle mass, high body fat. Now he's the opposite. Marcel, what's your experience on this subject? What knowledge do you have to drop on this subject? So in my defense I had no knowledge in
2: terms of nutrition and training prior to meeting you. Uh I believe that same day I got back from an all you can eat buffet. Uh so I was I was ready to blow even before the the workout. Well, let's let's talk about the topic in terms of ideal muscle mass for the athlete. This was something that I really came across probably about a year into training with you where we had differing coaches with different points of views, which is completely fine. Everyone is entitled to their own points of view, and everyone's trying to do their best with the knowledge that they have available. So I came across this situation where I needed to, one, get to a certain amount of strength in order to be able to perform optimally in tennis, or to pursue this sort of arbitrary number, which was exceeding the other option so did i have to get stronger for the sake of getting stronger or should i as an athlete try to get as strong as possible to be able to play my sport safely so upon seeing those two options i mean training strength training just takes so much time as well it's an investment of time every day you are opening the door whether it's intentional or not to the potential of injury risk because you are subjecting your body to stress and anything could happen if you happen to lose focus. Little tweaks can happen here and there. Ideally, when you're structurally balanced, the odds of that happening go down. But nonetheless, we're, we're human. You know, we we may subject ourselves to a stress that we didn't anticipate and we get hurt and we just handle it accordingly. But back to my decision-making, I did ultimately decide to focus on getting strong enough to where my performance in my sport was able to be at the highest level, but not exceeding that and chasing some arbitrary figure of, let's say, a 400 pound squat. If I'm squatting 352, and I go on the core, and I have no knee pain, I can cut on the dime. I could stop. I can move quickly. Why should I have to go and pursue
0: 352 any- with his form? Like double body weight. Ass to Grass, as a tennis player, by the way, is exceptional. His legs are shredded. Veins popping out of his VMOs. Then, as you go up, six pack, lats, shoulders. No, probably not the biggest arms. It's really the smile. It's really the smile. <laughs> it's really the smile. But you know, and Basically, thats I me. Mean. Like that's a solid squat. But like Ben, like Ben Clairfield has coached guys in the NFL, and like no one's going to be shocked by a three fifty two squat. Now, for a yeah. tennis player with the form and control all the way down, and then as we move up the body, like your mid back muscle development is crazy so it sounds to me like you're basically trying to get as strong as you could in terms of what was needed you know as a tennis player so agility explosion overhead power and so your numbers on the ql and pullovers trap threes and rotators are all among the highest i've ever seen and your body kind of reflects that
2: (laughs) that's exactly right so You know, you do want to get stronger than the bare minimum that's required for your sport because you never know what you can encounter in the middle of play. You know, there's so many forces that you experience that you do want to have a, which you cover in other videos, a bulletproofing reserve so that when you do experience, let's say in tennis, you slide in on clay courts. What happens if you overextend or if you come across something and there's uh, undue force to the knee? You want to have some level of strength well beyond that to be able to take those forces But to go so far beyond that to maybe approaching numbers that maybe a football player would have to approach, it's not really necessary for a tennis player. And, you know, I got a lot of tennis players on Instagram messaging me and they say, Bro, you're so like jacked. Like, does that not get in the way with your flexibility, your ability to hit your strokes? And honestly, it's just sort of my genetics because even though I do look sort of muscular when you compare me to other tennis players. I'm a buck 80. I'm 185, you know, and the more muscle mass you can have and become more efficient in executing the movements of your sport without it getting in the way, the easier it is to compete for longer periods of time in your sport. So I may look big, but I'm also incredibly efficient in my movement and in my production of my strokes each and every shot, and I'm using less energy. So fine tuning your training so that you can find that body composition and the muscle mass that is optimal for your sport because again my squats not going to be
1: uh as valid or as looked well upon in say football but you find those metrics is is your training to optimize your tennis style cuz you obviously work for ATG and you love training as well like are you actually pushing beyond what you would push for like say you were trying to make the pro tour and like would you would you make yourself a little bit lighter or would you I mean, because you're obviously putting a lot of energy into your training as well. Like you probably couldn't train as much for tennis as you maybe would if you were still trying to make it as a pro or am like, I, I didn't know where you're at with your tennis career, but.
2: No, no, that's a, that's a great question. I train right now, very much so to be representative of ATG's product right now. So like fire to pursue a lot of the structural balance numbers specifically, because then that gives people a window as to. Oh, this is what a body looks like when you pursue ATG to its maximum level. Now, underneath that, I do also train with the idea that should I choose to play professionally for a year or two, which I've already played two years, but with the things that happen in COVID and all the regulations between countries and the ITF, I just didn't feel comfortable just going out to a country, let's say to Egypt or you know, South America in the middle of the pandemic, I just put that to the side and focused on ATG's growth and still focused on my training so that if I chose to play, you know, I'm not going to go out and serve a hundred times and my elbow is going to be, you know, compromised. So I can go out and play right now, move perfectly fine. But like you said, if I were to try to pursue tennis a little bit more, the strength training would shift so that my ability to practice on court is more sustained and i have lower injury risk but it would probably be a little bit of a downscaled version of what i do right now which is very similar to like the atg
1: standards or would you get lighter muscle Would like, you get lighter or do you think that your muscle mass at the moment is actually close to what you, what's optimal for tennis for your 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 skeleton
2: honestly i wouldn't pay attention too much on being lighter because you can make the argument of getting lighter, I'd be able to move quicker, but then there's the other paradigm in which if I have more muscle mass, my efficiency in executing the
1: movements also goes up. So I wouldn't say I, it would make you quicker. I just, you know, most tennis players are skinny, but I think that's, I think that's also just because it's such a high skill sport that maybe right. optimal muscle mass for tennis hasn't really been explored because it's not that important. Like it's not going to make the difference as much as in football or rugby where you have to be close to optimal where maybe a tennis reach is also a huge factor. The biomechanics of low levers and and that that impact of power. As a short player, maybe being more muscular makes more sense because you don't right. have the long levers. So maybe you have to rely on the muscle a bit more. Yeah.
2: So I'm I'm like you mentioned, uh, compared to the average tennis player, I'm a little bit shorter. So uh I rely in the exchange of points. I usually try to win points off the baseline. You know, I'm not trying to hit winners or hit big serves, which I can, but I'm trying to be more conservative and do the grind game versus going for big winners or taking advantage of reach, which I don't have. So I would say I I wouldn't be able to tell you whether I would benefit more from being lighter or not. I would probably explore it, you know, because I have time and I know how I could move my training around to accomplish those types of adaptations. But to be honest, I've never felt better on the court than I did when I was training with ATG. And per the regular tennis player standards, from my knowledge of growing up and playing juniors in college and, you know, a couple of years in pro, strength training wasn't so much in the realm of my awareness. Like people did a lot of court drills and, you know, they'd hit the gym and like academies that had gyms there and they would do squats and whatnot. But it wasn't like so structured in the sense of like how people do it in football. So I would be very curious to find out what would be the optimum for a tennis player. But I've I can say for myself and my ability to play on the court, I haven't felt better than what I do right now.
0: So take that for what it's for what it's worth. I think if Marcel had a twin brother, and if Marcel had more VMO mass, more more mass in the in the around the shoulders, and still maintain that mobility. That's the thing is I I think bad. Training gives muscle building a bad name, but then as soon as you see an example, LeBron James has ranged from two forty to two sixty over his career. He basically has the most—he has like the biggest quads and hamstrings in NBA history for a guy who can still shoot, dribble, and pass. And look at women's tennis; Serena Williams is just destroying people with more muscle mass than most of the men on the tour. And like, like, what was the difference between Serena Williams and all these girls she was destroying for like a, a decade? She had more muscle mass in the right areas and she could still do a middle split. So I think, that, I think that muscle mass in the wrong areas can slow you down, but in the right areas is actually crucial. If you look at like the 100 meters in sprinting, they're all shredded and jacked and every one of them would have a better chance of making millions of dollars in other sports than if you took like the top quarterbacks or tennis players who are skilled guys. I'm going to let Ben Clairfield take over. Ben has a lot of experience developing muscle mass for athletes. Yeah, I I mean, this is a great conversation.
3: I think it's really, you know, it sort of follows of what we talked about last last week, which I really like. I really like that Keegan said this. I mean, I think, you know, there's an existential crisis going around the world with uh, with, uh, various diseases that we can get into, and a significant quantity of them in the West, at least, are, you know, body composition related. So I think there's, uh, you know, it sounds trite or it sounds arrogant to say that I think when we deal with body composition, whether it's gen pop or whether it's athletes, it's kind of God's work because I think, uh, as, as Keegan says, there's, there's a legacy and there's, uh, you know, longevity and there's, and again, there's no guarantees, right? But we all know that biomarkers improve when people are later and have more muscle, like that's, it's kind of incontrovertible now, how much muscle, whatever, but that's the extreme case scenario that people say, But look at those bodybuilders. They're dying from heart attacks. Well, it's not as Keegan says, that's not fair because it's a, it's a sample of like other things involved that are not exactly connected to what the reality is with most, most normal people, and even elite athletes that aren't in any of that stuff. But that's, that's a different, con- uh, conversation, but you know, I wanted to talk about a few things. It's funny Keegan says, you know, that we, a lot of us come to it from uh, wanting to look like a, uh, you know, a, a superhero. I didn't give three f's about that. And I think Ben could resonate with this because it's, but I just crossed the guy. He's got a six back, but I just crossed the guy and shot a three in his face. He sucks. Like I never cared what people look like. If I beat them on the court or if I beat them in the rugby, I'm like, yeah, they've got a six pack, but they just scored a try on the guy. I just, what, what does that got to do with anything I won, And from an athlete mentality, I really didn't care how I looked. So what's revelatory. And I think that's the thing that Charles Paul Quinn brought that to me is that, wait a minute, this matters. This is a factor that I should care about. Not just how whenever I was always fast and athletic, but I didn't care. I didn't have a six pack. Just beat you. So. And I think a lot of my athletes are like that, actually. So I remember talking to my, my first football player that I brought him on the coach's call a few weeks ago. And he said to me, I don't care if I'm 350 pounds and the fattest person on the planet, if that's going to make me more millions of dollars in the NFL, that's what I'll do. And I made the case because I'd learned from Charles Paul Quinn, actually, no, if fat is friction in between your cells, then it'll make you slower. So for you, stronger and faster having body compasses, you know, he, he couldn't be 220 pounds. But him at 293 versus him at 312 was a different animal. And I got a guy, I got him to get abs, which is kind of insane for a six foot, five and a half, 300 pound man to have abs. And that's natural. Just from a point of view of genetic freaks. Again, I don't have those genetics, but I helped him with that. And that was something that it changed his play and he signed a multi million dollar deal and, you know, he's retired now, but he, he did, he did pretty well acted in some movies, um, he's a good looking guy. And for me. That idea came from Charles Poliquin, where I could come and say, hey, look, the conception of your sport, especially in football, anyone Ben's dealt with football, Marcel knows this, there's this 300 pound number, but it doesn't matter if you're 35% body fat and 305, or if you're 16% body fat and 295. We all know which is going to be the more explosive, stronger athlete. We know that. It's simple math. Now, what you do per sport, that's an interesting question. I think that's something that's worth exploring more. And I think that's the, you know a great question regarding Marcel. But if the way Charles taught me, and he did it with, with periodization models, is you build muscle and then you put strength into that muscle. So you call it accumulation or intensification, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's the genius that Keegan's trying to bring out here. That, and there's different ways to do it. And I think dense is genius. Ke- the way Keegan does it is very, very smart. From a getting people rolling and not procrastinating, especially in this time where everyone's on their phone and Oh, who tweeted what at who and whose Instagram? One second, seven minutes, and I forgot to do my set. Whatever. Um, so there's genius in that, and I think getting volume in and discussing that. There's more room for us to discuss how we we plan things for various people. But I think that body composition thing. And again, this is you know I think what's really cool is that this isn't our first focus, but I think there's something about this that's worth thinking about from a philosophical point of view. And I I know I get to this. I was having some conversations with some of our female clients that have come to us for body composition goals. And I showed them some pictures of elite female track athletes who are pretty much, you know, it, it is what it is. They're half naked. They're in the bikini bottoms. It's for efficiency or whatever you want to call it. And their physiques are phenomenal. And I'm saying that from a point of view of healthy, lean, and, and obviously there's a connection to aesthetically pleasing, but I showed the picture to try and show these ladies that it's not about spot reducing this point or that point, or I hate this part of my body. And there's a lot of stuff with social media and pressures of females that men don't have in the same way. So I sympathize and, you know, we try to coach in the best way that we're we're as as positive as we can and it's complex. But what I was trying to show this example, and it wasn't my idea. I can't remember who did it first, but I think it was in an article in T Nation years and years ago, is that, you know, the the athlete that looks phenomenal was in the bikini body on the track. You know, it says underneath, she's upset she came seventh out of eight. And she's not thinking about how something makes her look bad or like that she's not lean enough or whatever. And what's really cool is I sort of said it last time. When you focus on what you can do, what's really cool is a lot of body composition stuff just takes care of itself. And that's again, provided the fact that we're, we're eating in a way that it's not, you know, I hate to say it, we're gonna get sued for this McDonald's or whatever, you know, not to pick on anyone. But the point is that there's a lot of discussion of what it is that you put in your body. Suffice it to say, the less manufactured, the better. So, I mean, that's one that we can discuss the details of that and a higher protein intake, and that's stuff I learned from Charles and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's a fascinating thing that what we do first is movement, and secondarily, what comes as this body composition thing. And I think Keegan's question, which is what's the optimal body composition number. And I love that. I mean, I learned biosignature when it was that, and it was metabolic kind of Linux and all this kind of different things from Charles. And I still utilize some of that. And ideally you're, you're figuring some form of an, and I like the, the muscle number. I like that a lot because in some ways it's, it's much easier, you know, whereas I have to get calipers and it's harder and I can't be with everyone. I couldn't that for a long
1: time as well, Ben, I, I like, yeah. Uh, the biosig method was was cool it's just it is time consuming and it's not it's not very scalable it's not easy to teach other coaches and so yeah if you can get there's other measures i like the sculpt device actually gives a good reading but even even with a waist measurement you can get a pretty close it's not great from like the fine-tuning perspective but it's great from like that bigger picture of are you aiming to be like 10 percent above the best genetics of you know elite sport or like putting things into perspective i think is you know that's That's what it's really for It's not like that fine journey you you want you know something like your tool is great for that absolutely, and I think that's the idea is you're getting some
3: form of measure, and obviously as we've discussed, we're in the realm of bespoke high end where I can do that and I can tailor the program to the client or the athlete but but I think the idea stands i agree with you wholeheartedly that what people should be aiming at is is there's you know and it's it's really difficult, and I think it's just why this conversation is. There And I think it goes to what it is that we represent this idea of athletic truth group, we're, we're not trying to be mean to anyone, but we're trying to say, we're trying to actually explore and figure out what a, what the truth is in regards to, okay, we're making a question of what is better. So if you're a rugby player and you're 135 pounds, you're pro- even if you're a scrum half, chances are you're going to get obliterated. Now the scrum half can probably be the smallest. But at the same time, it's better to probably be in the realm of 80 to 90 kilos than 60. So the idea is, I think if there's more, and and if you think about basketball versus tennis, you know, and rugby and football and hockey and those sports, uh, the physical contact aspect, I think is where one can start to think about the muscle number and how much upper body resiliency one needs. And we discussed that with our structural balance markers, where you know, and, you know, we, we have our principles, which is do the thing that the athlete needs. So you have to assess how much neck training does a tennis player need versus an NFL lineman or a running back, you know, and, and, or, or a hockey player or a rugby athlete, you, you know, you need more if you're going to have that physical contact and how much low back work do you need? If you're going to actually attack and smack people, you need way more low back work. Then it has to build massive backs where you can crack skulls and You know, the ramifications are on the other person and not on you. So that's muscle. How do you do that? You have to plan accordingly. And if you're a tennis player, you need to do it such that you can fly on the court and you can convert, you know, force into a ball then into a racket, but you're not worried that the person's going to jump across the net and tackle One has to think that way. And I think a, a very easy way to sort of push that forward when, when we say, okay, well, how do you assess? You look at the best of the best, which I think is what, what Ben's doing. And and there is physical contact in basketball. Now, the hand-checking rule changes the game a little bit. So you can be Steph Curry and Ja, but still, LeBron James is, as of now, the best of the best, and he's an absolute massive monster. And there's a reason. So I remember having a consult call with the basketball player. that was playing New York, and he says, yeah, everyone's going long and lean, you know, and so leaner, longer, longer, leaner, and it's these sort of wishy-washy ideas. And I said, actually, LeBron James. And he was like, oh, I haven't thought of that. I never, oh. But that's the thing: is you look at what the elite are doing, and it doesn't mean that you train like Usain Bolt. But you look at Usain Bolt's body, or you look at LeBron James's body, and you're like, okay, how can I get closer to that? Or you know, you're in the rugby world, and you figure out what's the best positions. You know?
1: go right. in was an outlier. It was 110 kilo, shredded.
3: Yeah, absolute freak, absolute freak. And so there's the genetics of it, but there's how do you optimize your genetics? And the easiest one to do is get leaner, and then you say, okay, let's add some volume in the requisite ways that Marcel is saying with the movement patterns that we say, and maybe 10 sets of one is not the way to put the most muscle on, maybe doing a dense program where you look and you assess and you say, okay, let's get some size, but again, if you're, if you're, if you're a basketball player, if you're a high jumper, your upper body doesn't need to have that capability of taking the contact Yeah, other athletes are coming at you. Cause, cause the other idea is that as strength coaches and trainers, we have to think about, okay, now the person can go so fast, but if you make your scrum half or fly half or center super fast but the second someone tackles them they get obliterated well that's not so smart so you need to have enough muscle on them that if you know they get cracked they have the armor such that they can you know deal with that so it's very likely that a basketball player can
1: jump higher than some of the wide receivers in the nfl it's quite clear for the dual physics sports like high jump sprinting shot put you kind of you can kind of see okay well yeah these are the body shapes for these sports. It gets confusing when it's team sports or high-skill sports. You know, there's, a, there's an argument in soccer or there's an argument with, uh, with some of those sports of, like, how much muscle uh, athletes need to have. And, but, yeah, basketball, I think, is a, is a really interesting one. You guys are pushing for more mass in basketball players. Like, what would you say there, Yeah, Ben? You've, you've, you've added a lot of mass, I would say, over your career. You've experienced being a light player. Now you're, you're probably, like, one of the more jacked. You're definitely one of the more jacked guys on the call, like, where we see it. I mean, I've, I've been all over the boards and I think that one quick thing to
0: note that's really interesting is if you just look at the bodies of high jumpers versus sprinters, it's very interesting how the sprinters have much more jacked upper bodies. So if I looked at my first goals when when I came across Charles Pollock and stuff and try, started training totally backwards as we do in ATG, my life quality depended on my knees and being able to dunk a basketball. But now if I'm trying to be the best that I could possibly be, this also means being as fast as I could possibly be. So then when I look at the upper body of Olympic sprinters, I go, wow, now, now there's an ideal body type to chase. So I first experienced playing basketball, extremely skinny, went into high school at 92 pounds. I was, that, I was that kid made fun of for how skinny I was. So then I was trying to gain muscle mass and get bigger. But with such bad knees, I didn't build any leg muscle mass. So I'm the opposite of now, build from the ground up, knees over toe. I was the opposite. I was knees behind toes, no muscle mass coming from the ground up, built like a reverse Christmas tree. And that that body was awful on the basketball court. Like LeBron James, who we're discussing as jacked. When you see pictures, when he rolls up his shorts or sometimes you see certain angles and it's like, oh my gosh, this guy like one in a million hamstrings and calves and quads and glutes. I mean, like he was Built, he's built from the ground up, yet he's still jacked up top. So for me, where, I'm, where I am now, I feel like the last 12 years of my life, since I touched on Charles Poliquin stuff, 12 years of trial and error, and I would say the last five, that ATG has been somewhat of a system. All that 12 years basically boils down to about one year of training in the sense of like figuring out, so like if someone starts with me now, I could deliver like a really life-changing year of training programs. I
3: have to interject. You showed me video of you playing basketball, but I remember the last time we played, I remember you going up for a dunk, not looking at the rim with someone hanging on your back and you kind of looked, looked up, and just flushed it. And if that's not also realizing upper body strength, the ability to take a hit and continue to rise up, and I just sort of was standing there and be like, God damn, this, guy, this six foot one smiley, like shots neighbor guy, just went out and did the. It just you had the dude. I can't remember who it was, but it was like he was just hanging on your back, and you just looked and you went up and you just all right. Here's the rim, and I mean that goes to show that you've put on upper body muscle that you can tolerate not just going up and tomahawking. It's you can take the contact, and I think that's the thing that that as we talked about the some of the dunkers that get super excited about dunking don't realize. And you've said that some of the not to you know. But the point is, like they
0: don't think of themselves as basketball players anymore. They're so excited with the art They're, of Duncan. is super cool. So that's, for me now, I am using your knowledge and Keegan's knowledge and Marcel's knowledge. Like this summer, I want to be able to take photos and look like a Greek god physically, but still have my legs balanced. But I'm talking the full upper body. And there's something, too, about being a, a father now that it's like, whoa, in addition to having like bulletproof knees and being able to dunk. I also want to feel very confident physically if anything were to happen because it, in today's society, it, I mean, throughout history, it's always possible that something physical is going to happen and that you're going to need to defend your family. So for me, it's, it's very different now. And I am chasing like my best all around body that I've ever had. And that means that will mean more muscle mass than I have right now. If I just look at the best MMA fighters, the best Olympic sprinters, like, my whole, my whole body will have to get more jacked, but I will say that just from really trying to chase the perfect rep on the zero dense and standards based programs, I have noticed like VMOs came out of nowhere, hamstrings, all of a sudden it'd be like, whoa, dude, your hamstrings are like popping out. And I was like, what, when did I get hamstrings? Lower legs are more muscular. And I would say that shoulders and some upper pec and like mid back, like, like, most ATG guys, when we've been doing this for a while, we start to notice like our, our back muscles have more muscle. So I, I really consider that's what I think someone could expect to achieve from the base. But I'm actually really excited to explore then the next layers and actually trying to build more muscle. So that, that's where I'm at right now. It's like really just, I've just been chasing the perfect zero dense standards. And right now I'm trying to make sure I really have every standard. And then Keegan and I, and with the two of you, like we're going to revamp basically a dense body comp that we're going to all start together March 1st and just kind of put like the next layer and then, and then we're just going to keep going. But that's kind of what I meant is like, I really have spent the past 12 years trying to come up with a really good year of training for someone to rebuild their body. Like I'm just being honest with it. That's where I'm at. And my body is a product of that base system. But I don't think this is the end all be all. I'm not happy with it. I want, I want to be more on the court. I want to be more as a dad. But to do that, takes real expertise because when you go to LA Fitness, yes, I can find tons of guys there with more muscle mass, but are they really can they run faster? Are they more bulletproof? Are they, you know, so that's that's where I think ATG has actually a lot of unexplored potential right now. Is I believe we can construct Olympic level bodies toward like any type of body type we want. And I'm not sure how to describe that for myself other than really looking at like an Olympic sprinter because their upper bodies are outstanding. Yet, of course, they're the fastest people in the world. So that's kind of, that's what I look at right now. That's my, that's my goal is to get closer to that in the coming year. Ultra sculpted upper body, but with that crazy rotator strength and, and power that I feel, I want to feel confident physically to take care of my family, yet still run faster and jump higher. Let's kind of recap it now with like, you know, like Keegan, how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to take those next levels? How are we going to create the best... Like we, I spent 12 years to make basically 36 weeks of training. So now like, how do,
1: how do we make the best body comp program? I mean, your genetics and and my genetics are probably not the the deep end of the muscle mass genetic pool. Like there's some people out there with thick joints and then, you know, walking around those guys, when they do the desk style program, where they jump on ATG, like I've seen some guys just absolutely blow up their legs. The best leg development that I've seen, the most shredded legs. And big legs like some of the some of the transformations uh in the coaches community especially you know is the ones that i see the most just uh crazy and so it's you know our results are not necessarily we're doing our best and it's cool but there's a lot better results than uh than my legs in terms of size at least i can say i i was 65 kilos when i finished high school so like 143 pounds or something like that And I was the same height that I am now. And I'd been training for like four years. I trained consistently and I wasn't really making gains. I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't eating enough protein. I had gut issues. I was eating a bunch of crap. I didn't know it at the time. But there are a lot of men out there who are following ridiculous advice that is not going to give them the physique that they want. If you get your diet right and you follow this style of training, especially like the dense style and also with standards, you know, with getting to to strength levels like building to a max set and then building your tolerance to volume your body will transform like this is the most foolproof way of adding muscle mass there are other methods with giant sets and things that that can be fun to experiment with as well but just to interject
3: interject i think the key for us to always remember is that we also care about movement first so we care about movement quality first and i think that's why in some ways it's not body composition first. We're sort of having this conversation after a bunch of podcasts where we talked about the most important thing and they were like, oh, by the way, body composition is really important, which we all agree it is. And it, it, in some ways, I think by not focusing on it as the number one, it allows it to not cause a certain stress level, They're like it's all for body composition, I need to lose fat, I need a loose fat, it, it allows it to come. So in some ways, you know, I love the line, trust the process. It's like by making your movement quality better and obviously fueling yourself. So I think it's an interesting thing that for us, it's like, yes, there's other methods, but you know, I remember Charles doing John Meadows, may rest in peace, brilliant man. And I remember him saying to me, yeah, I got, I got a little bit more muscle and yeah, I got a little bit leaner. So for Charles, who was at 3% body fat, that was impressive. And he says, you know, it's good to try different methods. It's good for your brain. It's good for your intellectual honesty, integrity, all this. And I'm like, great. I know John was a genius for body composition and all the other stuff for hypertrophy and bodybuilding. But Charles says, yeah, all my numbers went down, I'm weaker. And in his head connected to us, that's unacceptable. So it's unacceptable to get weaker. And for us, I think because at the end of the day, we're athletic truth, you know, athletic performance is what we really care about, whether you're never going to do anything athletic, quote unquote, competitively, but your life will be better if you can move better. I think for us, it's, it's not okay for us to move worse, quote unquote. Just to get some sarcoplasmic, myofibular, extra, you know, whatever we want to call it. It's like, no, we need to move better. Number one, secondarily, good things happen when you fuel your body the way you're saying it. So I think that's the, I just need to, I wanted to really, really emphasize that because I think that's the key for of what we're doing. Sorry. Go ahead, Keegan.
0: Oh, but that's, it's a huge point too, is that it gives you access that it then just makes it easier, no matter if you literally are trying to be a bodybuilder or this or that. People reach out to me in the DMs from all these different sports from the NFL to the MLB and I, I train a lot of these guys in person and they're all ultimately chasing the same thing which is better performance and this relies on different amounts of muscle mass but the common denominator is that ATG by allowing you to access areas better whether you need to develop lower back muscles or hamstrings or quad you know how hard it is to develop quads when your knees are hurting so bad and if you do you wind up with those bulky upper quads with very little VMO mass and that's a, probably a whole nother subject but the VMOs really do proportionately develop more when you are able to get into those deeper positions and actually push and not be in pain. So I do think the foundation of having, let's say, being able to access into your body better than you could before, then pursuing the muscle mass is going to be easier to develop and it's going to develop in ways that, yes, you really could, could call it more athletic muscle, meaning like if your shoulder is limited, if your knee is limited, if, you, if your hamstring can't stretch very far, The muscle is going to develop differently. So, I I think there's huge foundational quality to that. And, you know, we'll keep going on these podcasts too and almost create this program as we go of basically this, the next dense version. Because the first one, you're rebuilding joints with this concept. And you're, for someone who maybe has never, like we see this, like, wow, I I never actually saw a VMO definition come in or, or felt my like couldn't get those muscles burning when you guys see quad veins for the first time i got quad veins what's going on yeah and then all that stuff dude guys do end up jumping higher off squatting on a slam board and not doing heavy squats because it's because they're starting to see muscle for the first time so it's just an interesting foundation that the better you can access it look genetics are a huge factor then diet is a huge factor then someone whether they're taking testosterone or these kind of things it's another huge factor so you have you have three major factors already that don't even have to do with what you do in the gym. But what we do, it's a, it's going to help someone on their journey. And it's what's clear to me is like, it's a personal journey. I'm not comparing my muscle mass to Keegan's or like, I'm not comparing myself and my numbers to anyone else, comparing it to myself. And as Ben Clearfield said, so if I'm pursuing more muscle mass, but I, I need to jump higher too. And that to me, that's the cool thing about ATG is we're all pursuing better performance in some way. Like, Keegan's squat is the best I've ever seen it. I mean, rock bottom doesn't even need to wear Olympic weightlifting shoes and can keep like a flat back, you know, cheeks to sneaks. Let's give closing thoughts. I think this is a really exciting topic and unexplored. This is a big factor. And I think for the rest of our lives, I think it's going to affect a lot. Like being able to build muscle tissue in the right areas now is going to help these bodies hold up. So that was my closing thoughts. I have Alyssa texting me. She's like, you know, I thought this was half an hour. So. You know, because we got the two kids, so we're just like man-on-man coverage right now with Onyx out of school. So let's let's check some closing thoughts, but this was awesome. Got me
1: fired up. For me, this this is primary. You know, Ben's was saying athleticism, and yeah, athleticism is, is key as well, but the thing that's going to most impact your most men's self-esteem and their path in life, like one of the best ways to turn your life around is to optimize your body composition if you look at someone in the mirror and you're very proud of what you built and you know how much hard work it took and you've developed something that you're very proud of, you're going to be able to live a better life from there. I'm a huge fan of the entrepreneurial journey. I love seeing people make more money and be able to solve problems in the world, but you get there by building your self esteem, by building yourself up. And for me, if you're not close to where you want to be in terms of your body composition, if it's not optimal for your sport, if it's not optimal for your business, for your life, then make it a primary purpose to get there. And and of course if you do it through the ATG method, which we're suggesting, then you're gonna become more athletic along the way, which is also very, very important. Yeah. And and have it all.
0: Because I I also come from Ben Clairfield's side where as long as like as long as I can dunk and my knees don't hurt, I'm happy. But now but now I want both. And I really think that in life, it's not about picking one or the other. It it's about all about work and family and health. I mean it, it really is that to me that's the secret is there's no secret. It's like the more you can balance all these factors, the better life is. Marcel, your closing thoughts? You know, for me, it seems like
2: both bands are in the same camp. And I'm actually really in Keegan's camp on this. Training when I was young and in school and, you know, trying to grow up. I did want to pursue visually those images that I saw when I was going to the movies or watching TV shows. You know, things like 300 or like, you know, Logan from X-Men, it and, you know, and then also my idols in tennis. Rafael Nadal was a lot more muscular than the average guy, which is something that, you know, he's done fantastic with his professional career. And he has a very different body type. He's leaned out a little bit now, but he's getting older. But when he was younger, he was, I mean, that's why he got the nickname The Bull. You know, he was he was a very big guy. But, um, you know, there is a lot of value in what Keegan said being proud, of what you see in the mirror. You know, it's true. You, you, It affects your mentality. And then, you know, by having that positively affect you, it can take on more problems in life. But also in the athletic side, you know, when we're talking about body composition, something that I think a lot of people don't think about with structural balance is that you then start hypertrophying muscles